So uh, next lecture, Dr. Halmi is going to talk to us today, and he's been practicing dermatology for over 20 years. He is currently in private practice in Phoenix, Arizona. He started his career as an assistant professor in dermatology at Thomas Jefferson University, though no longer is in full-time academics. He continues to teach residents and as the director of dermatology at St. Joseph's Hospital. Please welcome Dr. Halmi. Good afternoon. I'd like to thank the Society for uh, inviting me today. I'd like to thank you all for sticking it out, getting a late, long day. I'd like to thank my PAs. Where are they? Kara, there in the back, and Jessica. Um, this is a great meeting, and I'm, I'm uh, happy to be a uh, part of it. Let's see how this thing works. Okay. Pop quiz. No, not pop quiz. OK, it's a pop quiz. All right. So kind of match. Oh, wrong way, Dan. Match. Uh, which fits with what? I kind of gave it away, so that wrecks it. Pick one from the left, match it with the right. Well, it turns out that's really the only uh, possible answer up there. The point of the quiz was that vascular tumors in infancy are greatly misunderstood. They're mis misunderstood by primary care docs, by pediatricians, by dermatologists. And you'll read in the textbooks and in articles that there's still lots of confusion when it comes to vascular tumors in infants. Part of the confusion is just people don't really understand the biology of these lesions. Part of the confusion is the terminology. In medicine, it's really important that we communicate clearly with each other. If one person in, uh, you know, thinks one lesion has this term and to another person that term means something totally different, it would be hard for there to be good communication. Mulliken and uh, Glowacki in 1982 did a great job in trying to clarify a lot of confusion. They uh, made a classification system based on the endothelial characteristics of the tumors. So basically, for vascular tumors in infants, there are two main categories. One category is just hemangiomas, and those represent neoplasms. The other category are malformations. And those aren't really neoplasms, they're structural abnormalities. So let's talk about infantile hemangiomas. Probably the most common of all vascular birthmarks. They occur in about 10% of uh, toddlers. More common in females, more common in low birth weight infants, uh, and in multiple birth infants. They can be anywhere in the body, but they are most common on head and neck. So here's a typical little uh, hemangioma, an acuity. Now they can also be categorized upon their clinical appearance. So if it's kind of red and raised, it's a superficial hemangioma. If it's kind of deep and bluish, it's a deep hemangioma. And if it has components of both, we call it a mixed hemangioma. Now, infantile hemangiomas are both very predictable and also very unpredictable. It's kind of like a yin-yang of uh, hemangiomas. Now, what does that mean? Well, the predictable part is they all typically appear within the first few weeks of life. They all start as flat little red patches that then start to grow. They can grow for weeks or they can grow for months. After a while, they stop growing and they go through an involution phase and then they slowly resolve and ultimately they resolve. Now the unpredictable part is when that baby appears with that little red patch on their cheek, there's no one in the world who could tell you, well, it's gonna be the size of a nickel in three months or it's gonna be the size of a grapefruit in three months. There's no way to predict how big this lesion will grow. You also don't know how well it will resolve. It will resolve, but, but, but to what extent? 
with this little guy here, no one could tell you, is that going to stay you know, an innocent little red spot and then go away? Or is it going to turn into something like that and be much more of a problem? So yes, all hemangiomas do resolve, but they don't all resolve completely. Sometimes the larger ones can be left with uh, telangiectasias, you get some fibrofatty fullness, you get a little texture to the skin, and sometimes they can leave a scar. Here's an example of a quote-unquote resolved hemangioma. You can see some telangiectasias, you can see some little scarring around the lip. Here's some of that fibrofatty fullness that will not completely go away. Clearly this hasn't resolved yet, but when you see that white kind of fibrinous material, this is one that had ulcerated, so that's going to leave a scar. Of all the complications that can arise with uh, hemangiomas, the most common complication is certainly ulceration. These lesions are painful, the parents are distressed. Before we had good treatments for these, these were some of the most difficult patients in the office because the mom and dad looked like they hadn't slept for a month, baby's crying, everyone's a wreck, and you don't know what to do. If it's big enough, it can uh, have some psychological impact in the parent-child uh, dynamic. Parents sometimes feel very guilty that, you know, what did I do to cause this in my child? They can sometimes be embarrassed and not bring the child out in public. So unfortunately, if it's big and disfiguring, it can certainly have a negative impact on the family. Also, if it's large enough, it could impede vital functions like breathing, eating, seeing. And in uh, extreme circumstances, death. So here's a classic case of an ulcerated hemangioma. Very painful lesions, sometimes get secondary infected. This is one that certainly could interfere with uh, eating. Here, visual axis is at uh, jeopardy. Um, it's very important that a child maintains binocular vision, and if you interrupt that, it could have permanent consequences. This is an extreme example, which is uh, not, not something you want to see. There are a few uh, notable syndromes associated with hemangiomas, neonatal hemangiomatosis and the face or faces syndrome. Now, the term diffuse neonatal hemangiomatosis is confusing in and of itself. Some authors, when they talk about this condition, talk about a baby who has multiple hemangiomas with or without hepatic involvement. Some talk about children that have uh, multiple hemangiomas and definitely have hepatic involvement. Some talk about children with multiple hemangiomas that have extra hepatic involvement as well. Also, in a lot of the articles, not a lot, a lot in some of the articles written, um, they'll be talking about this case of multiple hemangiomatosis, um, but actually they aren't even hemangiomas. These are hemangiomas, this little baby with multiple hemangiomas. This, these are not hemangiomas. These are lymphangioendotheliomas. Uh, this is a case of multiple lymphangioendotheliomatosis with thrombocytopenia. This is actually a very severe life-threatening condition. So when we're talking about neonatal hemangiomatosis, typically talking about a child that has about more than five lesions, these kids typically have some hepatic involvement. Usually it's not terrible hepatic involvement. They have a few hemangiomas in the liver and it really doesn't amount to much. Rarely they can have, you know, other organs involved. So if you get a little baby with a bunch of hemangiomas, what should you do? Well, you might consider imaging the GI tract in the liver. Now, if you find that they have some hemangiomas outside the liver, then you may want to do some more imaging, look at the CNS system, get a CBC, check for platelets, you may want to do a biopsy. Maybe these aren't hemangiomas. Maybe it's a different type of lesion. Face syndrome. As you can see, it stands for posterior fossa malformations. They can get some brain abnormalities. They all have hemangiomas, arterial abnormalities, coarctation of the aorta, eye abnormalities, 
Some people throw in an S at the end because there can be sternal defects as well. Now face is a spectrum of disease. Pretty much all the kids have you know, this large facial segmental hemangioma, but most of them don't have more than one of the extra uh, cutaneous manifestations. So if you have a child with a large segmental hemangioma in the face, you definitely want to get an MRI, you want to get a cardiac consult, you want to get an ophthalmology consult as well. Hemangiomas. Years ago, the uh, mantra was, don't do anything to mangiomas, don't do anything to mangiomas. Back in the 60s, uh, the biology of hemangiomas wasn't really understood very well. So mom and dad would bring their little baby with a mangioma to the surgeon, and they would say, oh, I hate this, what can you do? And the surgeon would say, ah, oh, I can cut it out. And so they would cut them out. And mom and dad was happy, um, baby was happy because they didn't know better, but when the baby turned 14 or 15 and has a big deforming scar on the face, now the baby's not happy so much anymore. So this was done in good intention because no one really understood that hemangiomas pretty much resolve. Well, as the biology of these lesions became more apparent, pediatricians got very um, paranoid, to say the least, and said, don't treat these. And when I was in school, you know, a pediatrician, I think 20 times, said, don't treat hemangiomas to us when they lectured to us. So you'd have a little baby, and this is a little early hemangioma, and they say, okay, nothing big you know, going on here. Let's just watch this and see what happens. And this is what happened to that little girl. Um, we can do better than that. When it comes to treating hemangiomas, I think it's really important to have the proper perspective. The goal should be to prevent this lesion from becoming a big, uh, large, deforming tumor. The goal shouldn't be, okay, we're going to get rid of this thing. Uh, we know that eventually Mother Nature is going to get rid of a hemangioma, but if we can prevent it from becoming a large, uh, potentially troublesome hemangioma, then, then we're doing a good thing. So what can we do in the pre and early proliferative phase? The main treatment in this early, early phase is pulse dye laser. Here's a little one with a hemangioma below her eye. You could do nothing, do the watch and wait, and watch it turn into something like this. We decided to treat with a pulse dye laser, and there she is, still crying, but mom and dad were ecstatic that the, the hemangioma was gone. When you treat it with laser, you expect to stop further proliferation. You don't really expect it to go away completely. That does happen sometimes, and that's a plus, but you really just want to make sure that you stop it from proliferating. There is a chance that you could cause an ulcer in these hemangiomas, um, and if it ulcers, that could lead to scar. So you need to you know, understand what you're doing and explain the risk to the parents and proceed as indicated. Some key points. Laser is really on, only indicated in the early proliferative phase. If it's a pretty substantially raised lesion, laser is not going to do anything at all. The tr treatment of these is a lot different than treating other vascular diseases in children, um, vascular conditions like port wine stain. You want to use very, very low fluences, and you don't look for the characteristic purpura after you treat them. Very, very low fluences, otherwise you're going to run into problems and cause ulceration and scarring. And you basically you treat every two or three weeks, and it usually takes two or three treatments if that's going to work. Now those large segmental hemangiomas, whether it's on the face or anywhere on the body, they do terribly. They're nasty hemangiomas to begin with. They often ulcerate on their own. If you zap them with a laser, they almost always will ulcerate. So do not treat segmental lesions, and also lesions around the lip, they tend to ulcerate readily as well. Again, you know, this is something uh, to not take lightly. If it's in the prol proliferative phase, you can use topical treatments, 
intralesional steroids, systemic steroids, and propranolol. So if it's an early proliferative stage, you may want to try some of the topical treatments. You can use high-potent topical steroids. You can use amiquimod, propranolol. They've all been shown to help somewhat. They're somewhat effective. They're not greatly effective. But in an early proliferating lesion, if you're not sure of anything else to do at that time, it, it's an option and a safe option. So intralesional steroids, they're good for those raised, deep, or mixed hemangiomas. Now, the dose is pretty high, 40 milligrams per cc, which is when I first started doing this, oh, my God, that's a crazy dose to inject in these little babies' faces. But actually, it is a very safe dose. In 20 years, I haven't had major complications from that. You only do three little aliquots of 0.1 cc each, so three separate little sticks, only injecting about 0.1 cc's. The risks would be atrophy. In some way, you want some atrophy of the lesion. But to get permanent denting of the skin is possible, although extremely rare. When I first started injecting these things, I was waiting to cause you know, bleeding that was uncontrollable. I mean, how, I can't believe I'm going to put a needle into this hemangioma. But they actually don't bleed. Um, I've never had a case where bleeding has been a problem whatsoever. There's always danger when it comes to lesions around the eye. You know, the hemangioma could connect directly to the retinal artery. So if you inject a uh, hemangioma steroids, theoretically it could cause an embolism and cause blindness. So dermatologists, we generally kind of get wimpy and don't like to treat things around the eye. The ophthalmologists, on the other hand, are very gung-ho about this, and they kind of don't think there is a big risk. So if there's a eye lesion that I think is a candidate for intralesionals or the, the family wants that, I'd send them to a pediatric ophthalmologist, and they're usually very um, happy to do that. This was, at one time, the standard for large proliferating lesions. The dose has to be pretty high. Lower doses just don't work. So you have to give at least 3 milligrams per kilogram today, uh, per day. And you keep that dose going until it's clear that the lesion is not growing anymore. Once it's not growing anymore, then you can slowly wean it over a couple months. You know, the kids can get high blood pressure. They can get um, increased blood glucose. So unless you're capable of monitoring those things, it's good to work with a pediatrician. The risks of systemic steroids for a little baby is actually pretty low. Um, they do get irritable once in a while. It's usually not that big a deal. It does slow down the growth curve, but it's reversible. So this would be, for example, you know, starting prednisone here, this would be a normal growth curve. Here it's a little bit slowed down, but once you stop the prednisone, they go back up to the normal growth. So you won't really have any ultimate um, problem with their ultimate height. Propranolol. This has become the new standard of care. It was kind of discovered accidentally in this baby who needed propranolol for cardiac reasons. And they found that it shrunk her hemangioma. The dose is 2 milligrams per kilogram per day, given in divided doses. And they're usually on it for several months. It's not clear how it works. We think it has to do with their anti-proliferative effect of propranolol, and also it has some apoptosis and vasoconstriction effects as well. The main risks are bradycardia and hypoglycemia. Um, usually not a big deal, usually not um, a problem, and this usually doesn't cause stopping of the drugs. There are two schools of thought. Some people think you should admit these babies, and they do, and they follow them closely for days to weeks. And there's some pediatric dermatologists who just you know, start as outpatients, and they just monitor them a couple times a week at the beginning and then go to monthly. The more experience we have with this drug, the more it seems to be a pretty safe and effective method. This isn't my baby, but it is a uh, published case 
one of the early published cases of uh, using propranolol. And you can see over time, it's a nice result. Aha, this is the break slide. It's been a long afternoon. It's time to kind of shake your head a little bit. Stretch, okay. I need your help. And this is gonna be audience participation. I've never done this before. If you don't help me out, I'm gonna look even more foolish than I do right now, so I really need your help. I was at the buffet yesterday, and David Blaine, that magician, he was behind me, and I was saying, David, I just, I can't win at the roulette table. Do you have any tricks? And he actually told me this detailed trick, and it takes you guys to help me. So I need your help. It's gonna be some math. At the end, you're gonna have a number. You're gonna all shout out the number, and that's gonna tell me what to play. So you may need to do some pen and pencil arithmetic here. Here we go. Favorite number, pick a number between one and 36. Well, don't say it out loud. This is the one where, <laughs> this is magic. The, um, you're gonna use this number later, so remember it. So everyone think of a number. Hopefully not the same number. Now add eight to that number. Who thought you'd have to think this late in the afternoon? 